You're listening to What's Up Digital Lending, the podcast that explores the exciting world of digital lending. We make a deep dive into the most important issues and talk to the leading minds of the ecosystem. Welcome, everyone. My guest today in this episode number nine of What's Up Digital Lending is Paul Melamed. He is the CEO and a senior partner of Arcarium Investments from Riga in Latvia. They are one of the owners of Indemo, a fintech lender also from Riga that enables loan-based investments with a focus in Spain. Beyond that, Indemo belongs to the increasing group of neatly EU-regulated digital lenders as it owns a method license. My name is Konstantin Fabricius and I am the host of this podcast. Welcome, Paul. Great to have you here in the show. Hello, Konstantin. Uh, thanks for having me. Now pay attention, please. The content of this podcast is expressly not to be considered investment advice, but it is intended solely for your information. We do not assume any liability and will not share any profits. Paul, let's start with you. What do we need to know about you and your career? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what you need to know, but yeah, I've been uh, in finance for a long time, so more than 20 years by now. I worked in a number of local regional banks in different positions, in different roles. I started off doing FX initially on the margin desk, then I went into prop trading in FX, foreign exchange, meaning interbank trading, stuff like this. Then I moved into fund management, you know, um, other markets like bond trading, exotic effects, stuff like this. So I would say I've covered a lot of different types of markets, different strategies when I, uh, during my banking time. Later, uh, I moved into asset management. I was invited to run uh, an asset management company in Latvia that was part of a big uh, financial group. Eventually, we bought the business out with my former partner. And since then, uh, we are managing money kind of discretionarily and um, basically on our own. Uh, currently, I would say we are more of a family office type of setup. So we deal with big clients, you know, high net, high net worth individuals, families, you know, privately run corporates. And we do all sorts of things. Uh, we manage liquidity for these guys. We have the possibility to consolidate their different investment accounts. And, you know, we have a very uh, kind of strict belief system about what's going to happen and uh, how you need to position yourself in the markets today. We also do quite a bit of um, M&A. It's not in the asset management business, but another company. But uh, we share some of the shareholders and we do stuff like M&A, you know, private equity stuff. We have a bunch of projects in the pipeline and Indemo is one of those. I guess if I had to pinpoint my expertise, I would say it's trading and macro analysis. So we employ a macro top-down approach. We look at the global picture and then come down to a particular investment idea. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I can I can talk a lot about that stuff, but uh, I think I think we should focus on fintech, right? Uh, it's uh, it's more to do with the with the nature of your podcast. 
It's good to know that uh, you have uh, one of your foci on on, on macro trends because uh, we will come back to this later on. A lot of things have happened. Yeah, it's a very the interest rate change, and I'm I'm pretty keen to hear from you uh, your view uh, specifically when it comes to Indemos products. But let's wait a couple of minutes uh, before I would uh, like to know something else. And today we listen to you uh, rather than to someone of uh, Indemos management team. How does it come? Why, Paul? <laughs> I don't know, because the CEO wants me to talk to you, I guess. <laughs> For disclaimer's sake, um, I have to say that my company and me, through the company, we are investors in uh, the Indemo platform. So we are a shareholder. I think it's a little bit less than 10% of the entity at the moment. You know, I'm not involved in operations either of either Indemo or any of the companies that are partners of the platform. So, you know, while I'm happy to give the general outline of operations and, you know, key aspects of the business model, I'm not really the guy to talk to about day-to-day -day operations. We have an executive team and a CEO for, a CEO for that. So I think um, at some point it's, it's best to invite him uh, to talk about the day-to-day -day stuff. I know the founders very well, the guys that were the initial founders of the company. Uh, most of them are my former banking colleagues, and we kept in touch. We are involved in other businesses and all sorts of you know, corporate deals and things like that. So when they offered uh, this investment, it was, it was probably uh, what you can call an angel round. You know, an angel round is, you know, a nice name for family and friends, you know. Then we did another round, and currently there are 15 partners which, you know, who basically realized that there are a lot of changes going on in the financial industry. And, you know, if you want to be successful and innovative, you have to look into retail. And it was a nice, uh, for us, it was a nice kind of diversificator because, as I've said, we're focused on big money. It's a nice way for us to diversify, basically. We are thinking about providing investment baskets in the future for liquid instruments as well, but that, that comes later. So I think people realize that uh, EU is a huge market, right? It's It's got, what, 450 million or something like that of population. You know, it took us a long time to get where we are, so maybe two years, a lot of time, a lot of emotions, a lot of money. Given our experience, we are bankers, we are finance guys initially, which kind of differentiates us uh, because typically it's either IT guys or someone from the industry, uh, like like some business that, uh, you know, thinks about crowdfunding or, you know, uh, some sort of uh, non-banking lending solutions. But in our case, we are finance guys, right? So we kind of played it by the book, We realized that regulation is important from the start. That's why, why MIFID and why we're licensed and, you know, regulated by the central bank. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think also there's a clear niche for financing on the SME side. Banks are not very keen on dealing with small and medium enterprises. And I would say this problem is across Europe. 
Like one of my partners in the asset management business is a uh, is, is an Irish national. I mean, his name is Michael. He lives in Dublin, and it's the same problem as it is say in Latvia. You know, small medium enterprises have uh, a lot of trouble raising capital, uh, especially at current rates, right? So I guess that's it. You know, that's that's why. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you. Before we drill deeper into uh, into Indemo's uh, business model, I would like to know when uh, Indemo was founded. I uh, haven't uh, found it on your website. Uh, well, probably it's a secret then. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Could you please uh, reveal it for the audience here? Uh, yeah. I th well, it's uh, it's a couple of years old, as I've said. I'm not sure. The exact date and month and and the year, but it's about two years, I think, one and a half, two years ago. Okay, and uh, you have already mentioned uh, the SME market, and uh, which brings us to uh, the yeah these kind of deficiencies that uh, the European market has to suffer from. You know, usually people found a company to resolve such deficiencies, and what kind of deficiencies did you guys see? With respect to your target market, the idea behind, like the general idea behind Tindemo, is to create a platform where you know these small to medium enterprises could uh, offer their products and their services and their investment opportunities, and uh, retail would be able to invest in those, right? And as you know, in case of Indama, we're starting off with um, real estate markets in Spain. And uh, for that particular market and to be involved in the types of deals that we're bringing to Indama, uh, you need a lot of capital, right? So our kind of strategy could be summarized in, you know, small tickets for big ideas type of thing, because normally... You need a lot of capital, you need a good team, you need uh, legal expertise, you need all of these things that small guys with not a lot of money just don't have, you know, so they stay away from this stuff. We believe in uh, investment democracy, and that's kind of our, our slogan. So, you know, bringing interesting new products for your average investor kind of thing. I think another reason is uh, regulation. We've briefly discussed this with you uh, previously offline, but clearly the crowdfunding space and non-banking lending space has been, you know, riddled with frauds, all sorts of problems. I mean, people were just giving money and that money was stolen, you know, all these things. And um, we, we do see this shift. And basically, we believe that either you're going to be regulated or you're not going to be competing, right? So, and I think this transformation is currently ongoing, right? Because we still have all these platforms that are kind of of the regulation space. Yeah, and uh, that's, you know, that's that's the gist to it. I have a lot of questions. My first one is, as you have mentioned, democratizing uh, investments. Are you only focused on retail investors or do you also take institutional investors on board? This is what I think I have learned from your website, but it might be wrong. Yeah, well, the license that we hold is a brokerage license, so it doesn't actually specify what kind of investor you can have. 
right? So I think it's important to differentiate between target investor and just any investor, you know? So the target investor is retail, and we've uh, built a company around that. Uh, so, you know, in terms of uh, AML, KYC procedures, we are trying to be as transparent and easy as possible, for instance. And obviously, it's it's easier to do IML stuff for you know a thousand for a thousand dollars or euros than it is to do for ten million typically. So the target investor is retail. It's a bigger market, you know. It used to be very difficult to work with retail, and that's why a lot of the banks, uh, especially private, like kind of investment banks, are shunning away from retail money because the regulation was just so out of this world. You know, it made everything, you know, non-competitive. I would say it has changed, especially in Latvia, because uh, we went we went through a very difficult period in kind of eighteen nineteen. Uh, where basically the whole industry, the whole financial industry was rebooted and, um, you know, regulated entities had to get rid of a lot of their big clients and all this stuff. So this approach, this fresh approach kind of gives me hope that we'll see, you know, interesting projects in fintech popping up in Latvia. And in fact, uh, we had a few approaches from foreigners for help, you know, in uh, developing procedures and the necessary documentation to get a license locally. So there's a lot of interest from the outside. I guess that's that's the answer, no? Okay. There are two ways to invest via your platform. You offer two instruments. The first one is the investment into mortgage loan, and the second one is into discounted debts on the Spanish market. My first question would be why exactly these instruments? And my second question would be to drill a little bit, little bit deeper. Why Spain, especially against the backdrop that uh, the, the real estate market suffered a lot in the noughties? What do we have to know today about this market? And there, It, uh, I address my question to you as a macroeconomic uh, uh, specialist. This would be very interesting to hear from you what you think about it, uh, especially the development of this specific market. Right. There are many questions in your question. <laughs> um, <laughs> like in terms of macro, I think you have to look at EU rates, right? And what's been going on and, you know, why are rates so high? And the reason often given is the push against inflation, right? So, you know, the central bank is raising rates because inflation is high and supposedly uh, raising rates, you know, limits demand. And this way, you know, there's less demand for goods and, you know, prices drop. But in reality, there are different types of inflation. So like you have financial inflation, which is mainly to do with financial assets and the, you know, change in prices there. Uh, you have consumer inflation, which is, you know, a methodology of calculating general prices, price levels and changes. You know, you have different types of consumer inflation. You have like core, super core, all this stuff. 
And uh, one important thing that I think everyone needs to understand is that drivers of inflation could be both demand-driven and supply-driven. So, for instance, um, inflation in U.S., and also inflation is a monetary phenomena. It's, uh, it's, it's basically the debasement of money, right? So in U.S., inflation was kind of demand-driven because we had all these subsidies and all this money going into the pockets of consumers. And that's what's driving it. So actually in U.S., if you, uh, if you make life miserable for a consumer, then the consumer is likely to spend less and prices drop. But in Europe, most of the inflation was energy-driven. So it's supply-side inflation. And look, uh, raising rates does not bring the supply of energy, right? It doesn't do anything to solve this problem. And that's why, uh, despite uh, ECB raising rates by, you know, whatever it is, 400, 450 basis, inflation is still, average inflation is what, 9% year on year, right? Precisely because uh, it's energy driven. And to solve this, you need to solve uh, that particular uh, issue. So that's kind of the macro backdrop. We can discuss this forever, as I've said. But uh, the point being is that at some point, I believe that the rates will stop going up. And actually, I believe we're very close to the end of the cycle. Right for various reasons, uh, we can dis discuss it, but that's my belief. Right, so high rates obviously impact the consumer. It doesn't matter if it's supply driven or demand driven. You know, you pay more for your credits. You have less money to spend on stuff that is outside of your financing needs. So it definitely affects the real estate market as well. Especially in Europe, because in Europe, uh, getting a fixed rate um, for, I don't know, 20 years is close to impossible. Typical length of a loan would be, I don't know, three, five years, and then you have to rebalance, and it's typically variable, linked to Euribor, something like this. I think we'll definitely feel the effect of that. But in terms of Findamo product and why Spain and, you know, all this stuff. So first of all, we are planning two products, but we, we're starting with the first one. Uh, and the first one is discounted debt um, instruments uh, in Spain. And uh, the reason why we believe in this business is because we have good experience in this business. So one of the projects that we've been involved in uh, with the team and I mean, not just in demo team, but general kind of high level team is uh, landing in Spain. We've been doing this for maybe 10 years, I would say very successfully. And I would say the Spanish market is kind of unique uh, in real estate, like even in uh, problematic times, prices tend to stay relatively stable and even and they even go up a little bit. So, for instance, as rates were going up, the quantity of deals actually increased in the real estate space. In terms of our first product, it's discounted debt. So, uh, basically, it means that uh, there is a mortgage that someone took out with a bank and couldn't pay it off, right? And in this case, we are dealing with uh, second mor mortgages, 
right? So second residencies. Because in Spain, uh, it is very, very, very hard to uh, legally get hold of the first residency, right? It's the, the consumers are very protected. It's, uh, it's, it's a very difficult process. Second, re- second residency is easier. The mortgage is basically in distress. And that's the reason why guys like us can come to the bank and buy the mortgage at a discount. And at a very steep discount. So we're talking like, you know, 50, 60% discounts. Um, so for every dollar you spend, you get three in valuation, market valuation, right? And uh, it's, it's a different proposition, right? Because uh, you're buying something with a huge discount to market rates. And basically, it boils down to uh, being able to communicate with the distressed data, right? And we, uh, and as opposed to banks, uh, we are very keen to settle out of court, right? Because uh, you know we save a lot of money in terms of time, right? We spend less time, so it's it's better. Uh, we might not make as much, but uh, the turnover increases, right? So we, so unlike banks. We're happy to we're happy to talk to the debtors, and it's a way for them to solve this problem that they have to solve, kind of thing. If out of court settlement is not possible, then uh, it boils down to your legal expertise of your in-house lawyers as well as your network of connections. And uh, Indemo is working with a partner company that is versed in this that has a team that had, you know, decades of experience in this, in this particular market. And, you know, it's, it's also interesting because real estate, you can't look at it broadly in European terms. I would say every country is unique. So, like, you can't compare Germany to Spain, for instance, because the habits of consumers are completely different. The wealth of consumers is different. You know, everything is different. So we believe we know the market, we know this geography, and we've been successful in this geography. So it was a natural decision to bring this product as the first product for Indemo. But generally, I would say uh, it might look like Indemo is all about real estate, but we have uh, ambitions way beyond that. I think it could be a platform for any type of SME from any industry to finance uh, companies' needs. And I'm hopeful that will increase the the types and the number of products that we provide to our potential investors. So it's not just real estate, right? Yeah, I think just just to finish off on the rates and the macro stuff, I don't think we've felt the impact of higher interest rates yet, neither in US nor in Europe. I think people are very complacent in that respect. And if I'm right, then the supply of this uh, distressed debt is just going to increase. So, you know, if you have the capital and if you're not leveraged, it's a time, it could be a time of opportunities, right? So, yeah. So, so I guess. But it's not only about the discounted debts, right? Investors also have the opportunity to directly invest into uh, mortgage loans that are not distressed, correct? That's the second product that's coming, but it's uh, it's not as lucrative. The yield is less, 
right? So we wanted to start with something that could, you know, motivate people to sign up for the for the platform and would be getting an interesting return. So to give you an, an indication, investors could be looking at around uh, 15% return uh, on the discounted debt stuff, while we're looking at around 9-10% for the uh, mortgage loan business. Because there's no discount, right? It's it's basically landing at market valuations, so it's a bit uh-huh. different. Uh-huh. So we see, we think it's more attractive. It's it it sounds more risky, but it really isn't. It's a, it's the same property, right? And also, I think I used to I used to be uh, I, I I used to be kind of against the real estate market in my early days uh, because I was so focused on you know currencies trading and commodities and all this stuff, and it was just not that interesting for me. I was actually very bearish uh, in the run up to two thousand and eight, uh, and in fact I sold my property at the top of the market or close to that, so I was a hobo for a while just because I was so positive that uh, this thing was going in the wrong direction. But if you think about it, and if you think about the real estate as an asset class, I think it's interesting historically because it's uh, it's very easy to understand. Uh, everyone, you know, either rents or owns or, you know, someone in the family owns uh, some real estate. I would say it's a natural fix hedge. I gave you an example uh, offline about, you know, different currencies that I had to endure in my life, you know, from Soviet times up to now. But, you know, square meters stay the same. You just change the denomination and off you go. So in times of, um, you know, stress and possible, you know, debasement of the currency scenario, I mean, I'm not saying it's happening, but uh, it's always nice to have this optionality for free, right? It could preserve your capital, right? And I think it's a natural allocation of capital as well. So my point is, whatever happens in economics and macro and micro and all this stuff, the demand for real estate will stay there, right? It's uh, it's not going anywhere. It's just the form of it, how leveraged people are, are they buying to rent out, you know, this kind of stuff. But it's always going to be there, and it's got uh, properties that other asset classes do not possess. And do you have any uh, any competitors in uh, the fintech lending space? I would say no, uh, because this is really um, a, a very specialized business model, but you have a better overview. Uh, well, there are a lot of fintech uh, startups and uh, operations that focus on real estate, I haven't seen I haven't seen one that would focus on discounted debt. Typically, they would be raising money to build a build a building or you know whatever it might be you know a department store or whatever. Some guys have uh, have have done something close to REIT, so they raise the money, they buy the house, and then they rent it out. Right, so I've seen those. I think I've seen a few landing ones, like the second product that we are planning, but discounted debt is a little bit more difficult because, you know, it involves a lot of expertise. So you can't go to the bank with five euros in your pocket and ask the manager 
for a list of distressed uh, loans, right? <laughs> he's not going to, she's, or he or she, they're, they're not going to talk to you, right? So you need to do some work before you can have these connections. You need to make a few deals so they, they know they, that you're a serious, you know, entity. And only then you have these connections and opportunities. And the same goes for, you know, the legal side and the legal expertise. Um, you know, legal people are very kind of efficient, you know. They're not going to waste their time, their precious time, on something that is not interesting for them, either financially or <laughs> emotionally, right? So, again, you need a few good deals to have this confidence to know who's good and who's capable of what. So a lot of kind of nitty-gritty details that you need to know that is very difficult for, you know, for a retail guy to have, I would say impossible to have. And the same applies to the platforms, right? So you basically need the right team to be able to do this. And as I've said, most of these fintech startups are either IT people, right? So they don't typically possess these expertise. There are exceptions, but typically they don't. And, you know, the other typical option would be an existing business that just wants to raise money and they and they're big enough to to be able to develop this you know platform and get a license and all this stuff so i think that's that's the reason because we had this business that was successful and we had the expertise and it, we kind of just brought it all together. In August, I read on LinkedIn some news about plans for Germany. What can you tell the German friends about? <laughs> yeah, so the license that we hold is a Latvian license, which means it's EU regulated. But in order to provide the service in other countries, you have to go through the passporting process. It's the same process for banks, funds. Uh, it's it's kind of uh, how financial institutions in different European countries can work without, you know, having to set up a new license with the company and the stuff, right? So uh, we've got the passporting for Germany and we've got the passporting for Spain, right? Congratulations, by the way. Yes, thanks. It was not easy going, I expect. <laughs> it was actually pretty smooth. It was smoother okay. than we expected. But again, we had experience with passporting before. So it's, again, it's, it's a matter of expertise, I guess. We knew how to submit it and what to do. And, you know, we did it right, basically. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. Currently, we are translating all the necessary documentation into German and Spanish. And once it's done, we'll be able to, you know, provide it to investors in those two countries. And that's our focus, right? So we believe we know both markets pretty well. And we had experience there. So, and they're big markets for European uh, standards. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> we've done it basically. And also, just to give you an, an indication, in terms of our brokerage license, uh, we actually obtained it fairly fast. I think it was something like uh, five or six months, which I think is a record, to be honest. And again, it's, uh, it's, it's nothing fancy, but you have to do it right. Uh, and you have to 
be serious about your procedures and uh, how you how you treat AML and stuff like this. So you can't submit just the basics that they ask, <laughs> basically. And that's that's one of the mistakes a lot of uh, fintechs companies make. You know, they they look at the regulation and they submit like the basic requirements, and that's just wrong because. Uh, the regulator looks at it, and he uh, and then the guys there understand that you are not really versed in the regulatory space, and they just send it back on and on and on. I'm curious uh, to uh, hear from you uh, about your experience, especially with Bafin. Why I mention this expressly is that uh, what uh, I have heard is that uh, yes. Uh, There is a certain number of companies in the European Union, let's say that way, that uh, is some kind of astonished how um, reluctant perhaps sometimes BaFin is. And what can you tell us about your experience, especially with BaFin? Perhaps, perhaps you have positive messages. <laughs> Currently, uh, this experience is uh, is just starting right we'll have to see how it works most of my experience has been with the local regulator uh, it used to be uh, as a separate commission now it's the central bank i would say these guys are similar everywhere and on european level and in particular countries they kind of follow the same approach and you can't blame them for that uh, so they're kind of played by the book uh, very strict increasingly strict i would say especially in stuff that's that's to do with risk um, that's to do with mifid that's to do with aml uh, all the sanction lists all this stuff so i would say generally uh, the regulator is not very flexible so uh, again i'm happy that some change is happening in the fintech space and they understand that you have to give a little bit of freedom for these companies to develop right and um local regulator has been very forthcoming with our idea because i think it fits their kind of view of where 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 the where the industry is really going so we'll have to see uh what happens with with the rest of the regulators but you know in our case i think it will be very uh straightforward uh because we are looking at capital raises for european businesses and we are targeting european investors so we're kind of confined to this european space right Uh, we don't have any issues with sanctions, pretty much. Uh, we still have to check all the clients, but, you know, it, they're pretty unlikely to be on those lists. Uh, so it's kind of a technical process. We're not, you know, selling our stuff in US, in China. So all these geopolitical things are kind of somewhere out there, you know. I think if you're serious about your financial business and you're serious about working in the finance industry, you kind of have to understand that you'll have to work with the regulator. There's no way about it, you know, and you just have to accept it and, you know, go with it. Yeah. To mention something very positive about BaFin here in Germany is that they really try hard to get in touch with the fintech community and, uh, Tomorrow starts a two-day summit, Bafin Tech called, where Bafin invites um, fintech representatives from all kinds uh, to Berlin 
to talk through current issues, you know, and it is not only about uh, fintech lending, it is far beyond fintech lending. And this is really very valuable because we'd also have the chance to meet up with the uh, with the top level of BaFin and uh, to exchange views. I was there last year for the very first time and I was really impressed in the meantime, I have learned that uh, this is quite normal in the Baltics, especially in Latvia. They already have a very good normal relationship with the fintech uh, space. And uh, here in Germany, we welcome uh, this approach very much because uh, when we end up where you guys in uh, Riga have already ended up uh, one day, then this would be great to have really a good labor relationship, let's say, with BaFin, where you can talk through, uh, things through and a uh, quick level. That would be very, very welcome from uh, the fintech space here. But that's another story. Well, I mean, we are social beings, right? Communication is key. It doesn't matter if it's regulator and the fintech guy. It's just general rule. If you don't communicate, you know, you don't need, you don't know what's, what, what needs to be done. So it's absolutely, good, yeah. absolutely. As always, I really have to say that uh, the Baltic uh, Supervisory Authority really serve as a positive example. I have heard already so many interesting stories of how you guys are able to work together and how really both sides are really interested in finding a quick and solid solution. This is really something where Germany is still... Uh, the, the German supervisory authority still has to walk a little bit, but um, the message I would like to call out today is I think we are on a very good way because the Baffin tech that is going to start by tomorrow morning is really one of the important pieces on this way. I think Latvia is also interesting in terms of costs, right? I would say it's cheaper than Germany for sure. In terms of labor costs, in terms of your, you know, office rents, in terms of, you know, how expensive is it to support your license? Because license, it sounds great on paper, but under the hood, uh, it's a lot of people <laughs> in a lot of positions that want a lot of money, you know, and uh, it's not like you can have this piece of paper and not have the staff, right? Or, you know, basic infrastructure. This stuff adds up, right? So uh, if you're a startup uh, and, you know, you're operating on a tight budget, it makes sense to save a little bit of money and get basically the same thing, right? So I think that's the competitive advantage too. But uh, I think the approachability of the regulator is also very important, maybe on par with the costs. Let's turn back uh, to uh, Indemo's business model again. Uh, I know that uh, your uh, your company is uh, is still rather at the beginning of the development. But can you, um, when it comes to numbers, tell us a little bit about how many investors you have boarded uh, to date? So it's a process, right? It took us. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this before already, but it took us almost two years to get where we are. And what did we spend these two years on, right? getting the regulatory stuff right, submitting documentation, all this communication with the regulator. Then we had to build up the IT solution, which takes a long time. We had to get the offering memorandum for the product 
done and approved by the regulator as well. And But at the end of the day, it's still a platform, right? So we had this period of beta testing all of the sum for all of the summer. And basically the beta testers were our partners, colleagues, you know, that were investing in a real product and they would leave comments and their, you know, ideas of how to improve the platform, right? So that went on for, I think, three months. So we launched it in June and it's actually finished today. And today we're opening our doors for all the you know investors that are interested right so you can actually go on the website register you know go through the ml process and invest so during the beta phase we've created uh, i think three investment notes and each investment note holds a number of properties in a number of these data instruments so basically each note would have maybe six different properties right so we uh, we sold out two, uh, and I think the third one is like 80% sold at the moment. And I think we've raised like half a million or something like this. Yeah, it's not a huge number, but, uh, you know, still, uh, it, it helped us work out the mistakes and, you know, uh, get us to this point. To, to judge the, you know, the success when it's in live mode, we'll have to wait and see. But I think we've done everything for it to be as transparent as possible. And I think the return is attractive and the asset class is attractive. Um, so I have high, high hopes for it, actually. But we'll have to see, obviously. So I encourage everyone to log in and at least check it out, you know. How do you exactly ensure that uh, high quality loans and debt titles are offered to your investors how exactly do you perform this this assessment yeah well we rely on uh, on our company partner in spain it, it's uh, it's a regulated company as well uh, they have the status of a lender so the company can you know lend its capital to prospective borrowers It's another licensing process. So the team in the company, they've been doing this for decades. They have the expertise when it comes to legal. They know the market. They know they can tell a good property from a bad property. You know, so uh, effectively we rely on professionals on the ground. We don't make those decisions, right? Uh, but the investor makes those decisions, right? Because the investor can look at the properties himself. Uh, and in fact, if you, if you log into the uh, website and check out the, these notes, you, you'll see a map and you'll see where they are located and you can look them up and you can check out the, uh, the average prices for that area in Barcelona, say, or, or Madrid or something like this. Uh, so it's pretty transparent. You know what you're getting and you know uh, what kind of rate you're getting if everything goes according to plan. So the biggest enemy in this process when we're talking about discounted debt is time, right? So you have to get it done within within a particular time frame, right? If Much like with uh, construction, you know? Like on paper, construction looks very nice, but if you have delays or if you have some permits, you know, problems with permits, uh, your your return goes down uh, exponentially, right? The longer you 
waste your time. So it's a kind of the same approach. You have to get the out-of-court settlement as soon as possible, or you have to go through the normal court procedures, but you want them to be you know, non-delayed, right? So you have to have the right lawyers, you have to you have to have the right judge, <laughs> you know, you you have to be smart about it, basically. And these guys have proven that it works, and uh, they have a good track record, so we rely on them. <laughs> okay, and uh, one very last question, a uh, question uh, that is uh, important uh, for the investor's perspective. What can you tell us about the handling of the portfolio in case of insolvency of your platform? How sure. would this be managed? Sure. What can investors expect? So it's a MIFID license, uh, which means there are additional insurance layers for investors, right? So we have to abide to capital adequacy ratios imposed by, by the regulator. So if we don't have enough capital, they come to us and say, well, where's the capital? And we have to raise it or the current shareholders need to inject the capital into the operations of the company. So it's not like your typical limited company where, you know, you go bankrupt and nobody notices. We're actually being watched. So that's, that's good. But say the platform is insolvent, then uh, you get an investment protection guarantee of, I think it's 20,000 euros according to your regulation. So anything up to that amount on your account will be reimbursed by the local uh, financial system, basically. And also, say you invested your money into these loans, like discounted debt loans. Once it's done, this money is not on the balance sheet of the brokerage platform, right? This is something very important to understand. And it has no relation to the obligations of the company. So these are, you know, investors' assets. They are not held uh, on the balance sheet of the platform. And uh, if the worst happens, then, uh, you know, there is, a, there is a procedure of how these assets are recovered. Typically, this would mean that the, in our case, it would be the Bank of Latvia appointing a liquidator who will take over the, the management, the servicing of the portfolio, much like uh, in the process of uh, bank liquidation or any financial entity. The role of the liquidator is to sell the assets at the highest price possible and recover the invested amounts. So, you know, it's, it's actually less risky than keeping your money above the insurance uh, amounts in the bank, I would say, because it's, it's segregated. The risk is on the operation side. So, you know, if, if we mess up, if, if the partner company buys the wrong property, if there is fraud, these are the real risks. Uh, I would say the risk of bankruptcy of the platform is, is a risk, but it's not the biggest one. Okay, thank you very much. 
That was uh, really important, I think, to know. And uh, that brings me to my uh, final words of this podcast. I would very much like to repeat it once you guys have uh, done uh, uh, some more business and perhaps we meet up again next year or in two years and uh, then let's uh, let's look to together back uh, how in demo um, will have performed that would be very interesting because i really like this business model and uh, also the perspective especially in view of the, the spanish market and uh, the uh, and the german uh, market which both i totally side with you are very vibrant uh, real estate markets yes so um Thank you very much, Paul, for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. And of course, I'll be happy to do this again and update you guys. And, you know, generally, if uh, I would say that our team is super approachable. So if anyone is out there looking for a collaboration or is just, you know, wants more information on the, on the stuff that we do, you know, I'm sure you'll provide some details, contact details and such. So just contact us we're happy to communicate basically and again thanks and you know let's keep it going and let's do it again you are really a great team i uh, i visited you guys uh, your headquarters in uh, june and it was really fun to meet all of you um really very good yes and um, thank you good luck and uh, all the success for the future thank thanks you for everyone for listening i hope you have enjoyed uh, this episode Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast and follow us on LinkedIn so that you will never miss our podcast. Stay safe and sound and see you soon. Bye.